And I'm not sure the last time you thought about the things you were thankful for or that you were just so appreciative of God that you had a joy that only comes from him. But I thought about, obviously, my own salvation, that he redeemed me a number of years ago. I thought about my, my wife, who God uh, blessed me with, and both my kids who now have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and my son-in-law, who recently has as well, and this church, which uh, I definitely am very, very thankful for. I've talked to a number of people the last uh, few weeks, and they said, I just, it's amazing to me just to kind of love and the family that is there at First Street, that you have a love for God and his word and his people. And I said, that's, my, that's kind of my tagline a lot of times. The elders would say that I have a kind of tendency to go through uh, words like that. And for me, it helps me remember that those are the three things that are most important, God, the word of God, and the souls of men. And you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I thought about this particular passage of scripture, <clears throat> really made me think about how much thankfulness and joy I have for you being a part of my family. Um, not a physical family, but a spiritual family, which will be together for the rest of eternity, and many of my physical family won't be. So I want us to have that kind of relationship in this church that is so close and so tight and so amazingly wonderful that we have that kind of family atmosphere that, you know what, you go, I go. If you, pain, if you have pain, I have pain. If you have joy, I have joy. If there's something that isn't right among us, then we need to make it right. And so I'm praying that today as we go through 1 Peter and we think about the charge that, that Peter has, the apostle of hope, if you will, as some people coin him, that we'll think through that as we think about the characteristics and attributes that Peter calls for us in 1 Peter chapter 3. But to start off, let's go ahead and read 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you and praise you for the great God that you are. I don't think words can really do justice to what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do, Lord, but we just thank you and praise you for loving so much, loving us so much to send your son to die for us. Lord, I know I say this often, but Lord, I know in my own heart it becomes common, it becomes easy to say, but Lord, it's just such an amazing, I'm amazingly thankful and so appreciative that you love me, even me, that if it was just me, you would come and you would have died for even just me. Lord, may we understand just a little bit more clearly today of what kind of love that is and help us to love the brothers and sisters in this room and elsewhere, and even to the point of loving our enemies. You've called us to love our enemies. And we'll see here that this is not a, 
a thought that is just for the brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's for our world, Lord. I pray that they would see our conduct before you and before them, and there would be hearts that were changed and minds that are converted, Lord, to an understanding of who you are, what you've done, and they would repent and believe, and they'd come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray this earnestly, we pray this expectantly. There's times where we doubt that so-and-so will come to know you or this person will ever come back to relationship with you. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to pray expectantly knowing that you are a God of the miraculous. You are the God of the supernatural. You are the God that does more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And I know I can think and imagine a lot. But Lord, we just pray you'd help us to think that way, to live that way, to pray that way, to love that way. This morning, I pray again you just soften our hearts. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word. I pray you remove me out of the equation and you just help us to look to you and your word. Let that speak to us this morning. And I pray there be that we do business with you today. I pray that you would, you would help us walk out today with a renewed sense of purpose, renewed sense of love, renewed sense of devotion to you and to our fellow brothers and sisters and to our world, Father, that you've called us here for a reason. Lord, we long to be with you, but Lord, you've kept us here, as Paul said, for a purpose and a reason. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us be faithful and obedient to that purpose and that reason. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just kind of setting the background a little bit. If you've gone through 1 Peter, you know this, but just kind of a little bit of a background. This is written around 64, 65 AD. Nero was emperor, and he just set fire to Rome. And uh, the tradition says that he actually played a fiddle while Rome burned. And so Peter is writing this particular epistle to the believer, to the Christians, the sojourners in the world, right after this. Because Nero, not wanting the blame to fall on himself, pointed the blame to the Christians, and so that intensified uh, persecution had uh, started to, to reflect and, and radiate within the church. So first, again, the important piece is that he's talking to Christians here, he's talking to you and I, if we are born again and followers of him, he's talking to us as well, but he's talking to the Christians here, and in verse 2, 9, and 11, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, aliens, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. He also promises that we're going to suffer as Jesus suffered. We suffer because they hated him, they also hate us. Jesus is very clear on that, right? If they hate me, they will hate you. So don't be, don't be surprised at that. The whole book of the, the, this epistle is talking about suffering. The overall theme is how we live in victory through suffering as we follow Christ until glory. Let me repeat that. How we live in victory, in joy, <laughs> through suffering as we follow Christ until glory, until we're raptured, until he comes and gets us, to, until we, um, we die and we're with him. That's what God has called us to do, is to suffer in one aspect. So we, th- we see Christ suffering in this. In verse 2, 21 through 23, it says this. Chapter 2, 21 through 23. 
For to this you have been called, again, going back to the calling, right? The believer's calling was the title, right? This you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Underline that for later. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Underline that. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. By his wounds, you've been healed. So the struggling that they were seeing right there, if you look at the chapter 2 and on, it's, there's a struggle against the government, against the emperor. There's a struggle against the earthly master or employer, the world in general. And there's also, in, in, in chapter 3, it talks about the unbelieving spouse. It talks about the, the wife and how that she needs to love her unbelieving spouse in a certain way. And vice versa, if the roles reversed, obviously that's um, to be understood as well. But thinking about those things and thinking about the aspect of that's where the suffering is going to come from. It's going to come from the world. It's going to come from the government. And it could even come from our own family. That brings us to chapter 3 and verse 8. And this is what Peter said. Finally, or in other words, to sum up what we've seen up to this point, because the letter's not over yet, so it's not the end of the letter, right? But he says, to sum up, to finally, all of you. There's not certain people in the room that he's kind of pointing out here. He's saying the list that I'm going to go through here, the list that I'm calling you, the attributes and characteristics that I'm calling you to are for everybody. None of you are perfect. The only perfect person that we've seen, that we have experienced, is Jesus himself. These attributes are all his. These characteristics are all his. But he's speaking to all of you, and in turn, he's speaking to all of us. So as we, read, as we go through this list, I want you to think about, as you write these down, where are you at in these attributes or characteristics? For me, this list is very humbling. Because I realize there are times where I am this way, I am following Christ, I do look like Christ in this way, and there's other ways where I'm not at all. So we're going to go through the list, and I want you to think about that and as we talk through it. I want you to think about that in your mind. How am I like Christ in these attributes or characteristics? Number one. First thing he lists there is have unity of mind. In the NASB, it talks about one mind. In Greek, there's two words there. Homos and friend means together, and then the friend means heart, mind, or thought. So together, in one heart, mind, or thought. We have one heart, one mind, and one thought. Another word that came up is harmony. Do we have harmony with each other. As I talked about before, we need to have harmony within the body, but are we having harmony outside the body, right, and how we view the world the way Christ has? We have the purpose of living together in harmony and peace to who? To the glory of God. We're not always going to think the exact same way. We're not always going to think of things the right way, but there should be harmony in the way we deal with things. Guess what? Life is conflict. Marriages have conflict. How we work through those, is there a purpose and plan behind working? Can you have harmony through conflict? Absolutely. Can you have harmony through hard times? 
Absolutely. How am I in one heart and one mind to Christ? How would Christ view this conflict and this situation that I'm dealing with right now? Do I have a harmony? Do I have his mind and his heart in this situation? So that's the first one, is having unity of mind, one mind before God. Romans 12, 16 says this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Romans 15, 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice do we glorify God. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I love that, don't you? I want to be united with you. I want to have one voice with you. I don't want divisions. I've seen so many churches break up over the silliest things. Have you? I've seen churches that have no harmony, no unity. There's division at about the littlest things. I don't like this. I don't want that. I don't like this color of the carpet. I want that kind of communion cup. What is the purpose and plan that God had for us was to live in harmony and, again, ultimately to glorify him? How are we glorifying him through those kind of conversations, through those kind of things that we go through every day? John MacArthur says this, Christians are to be examples and purveyors of peace and unity, not disruptive or disharmonious. Not disruptive or disharmonious. The second thing, sympathy, or we're to be sympathetic. Number two, again, comes from two words, son and pasco. Son means with, together, or accompanied. And then the second one is endured. Together endured. We endure suffering or hardship together. Now, when I looked at the word sympathy, that's not what I came with initially. Did you? We think of more of the emotion. I lay that out before them. But this is an aspect of saying we are together enduring suffering or hardship together. He's encouraging the saints. Guess what? If you have this kind of mind, we're together in this. We fight the good fight. We finish the race. We've kept the faith. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Together endured. I think there's times where we don't endure hardship together very well. The question will be, as more hardship comes, will we endure that together? When I think of the early church, I think of constant persecution. I think of constant martyrdom. Tradition shows that Peter actually watched his wife be put to death. And tradition, right after that, when he saw that, he said, first of all, he said to his wife, tradition says, remember the Lord. I like that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Remember the Lord through her death. Shortly thereafter, he was killed himself. Tradition says he was hung upside down on the cross because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord and King. So 
when I look at this, I say, you know what, we haven't really endured that much. How little have we really endured yet here in America? But we also have the opportunity, and a good friend of mine over Israel says, hey, you have the freedom to preach. You have freedom, take it. Use it for as long as you have it. There's restrictions over here. You have no restrictions. But when it does come, when we have this kind of hardship, are we going to come together and endure it together? I think that's a beautiful picture for me. The third one, brotherly love. Really, literally loving the brothers. Loving the brothers. And it comes from Philadelphus. Philos meaning beloved or dear. And Delphos meaning from the womb or brother or brethren. So we're beloved, we're friendly, we're dear. A beloved, dear, brotherly, familial love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, Anna was saying here a little while ago, and I have this example down here too of someone else, but she was saying, you know, I, I don't really mourn when a friend leaves, but when family leaves or moves somewhere, I really cry. I really mourn for that. You know what? When someone in this body, do we have the same level of love for each other? That when something happens to you, you go somewhere, you're sick, you die, we mourn because we have that kind of love for each other. Do we have that familial, brotherly love for one another? Sometimes you say, yeah, absolutely we do. And other times we don't. How much time do we spend with one another? I'm convicted of this. We have a tendency to kind of have a straight line from point A to point B, right? But showing hospitality and spending time with those that are sick and hurt and going through something is what we're called to do. If your mother was sick, where would you be? I pray with that I'm sick, you're all there. Maybe take turns or something. <laughs> we have a meal train that reaches out to people and says, you know, I love you so much, I'm going to show you that because you're my family. And there's so many times we don't do that. I wrote down here, we have, we have the Uncle Bernie's in our life, don't we? You put up with them. Yeah, they're, they're family. You got you to you do family, right? And there's some in this room, you're going, ah, I don't know if I want to spend a lot of time. Hey, we need, to, we need to get up a little bit, don't we? They're family. Who's your Uncle Bernie in this church? Hopefully, we don't have any Uncle Bernie's in the church. But there's a tendency that you walk in the door, I hope they don't walk in the same door. I hope they walk in a different door, and I hope I don't see them. Ever been there? God's called us to have brotherly love. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You have love for one another. Deep, brotherly, familial love. The, first, the fourth one is a tender heart. I really appreciate some of our elders, actually the majority of elders that we have, I think all of them, except for, this is a struggle that I have at times, to have a tender heart. They have a very tender heart, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But there are times where God just really hits me hard with this particular one, is do I have a tender heart? The two words there, are first one is well done or good, and the second one is in the innermost parts, emotions or affections. Do we have good affections in the innermost 
Are we kind-hearted? My wife would say I'm tender-hearted, but I think there's others that would feel like that I'm not as tender-hearted. And I say, have you gotten to know me? I love people in a very, very deep, passionate way, and you may too. But how are we express that? How are we showing that? How are we loving people the way that they are able to see that love? Are we tender to them in a way that is showing them how much we care? Am I tender in, the, in those moments that are the hardest for them? When they're going through a struggle, a hardship, sickness, a death. I have grown in this over the years for sure. And if you look through this list, probably hopefully in prayer for all of you have grown in many of these over the years as well. If you were to talk to me 20 or 30 years ago, almost zero tender heart. My wife can attest to that. I was that lawyer type, one, two, three, four, five, let's get it out. And I have a tendency, as the others can tell you, and I'm still a little bit more black and white than I probably should at times. But I want us to be very clear. We have to follow God's word in such a way that has passion, has love, but has tenderness. I, want to, I don't want us to present the whole counsel of God here at First Street Bible. But as we do that, we want to do it in a way that is loving and gentle, but is complete. And that's always a challenge. The same group, Greek word found in this one is found in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So a tender heart. The, the fifth one is a humble mind. Humble mind. Comes from two Greek words again, and goes to kind of the same aspect. The friend is the last part of it. Tepinos is lowly, or lowly in spirit, and then friend is mind or thought. One thing that's interesting I didn't say at the beginning is actually these, this list, Peter is, this is unique to Peter, too, in the Greek words. This is nowhere, found nowhere else in the New Testament, which I think is unique, and that's why going back to the Greek helps me to be able to kind of fully grasp these things. But lowly in mind and thoughts in my whole person. In my lowly in mind and thoughts in my whole person. Does pride... Is a pride a problem for you at all? <laughs> Mark that off. I was just circling that one, right? The lust of the eyes, lust of, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and boastful pride of life we see in Scripture, right? Pride is one that hits us most at times. But God says, I want you to be humble. I want you to have a humble mind. Or Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, with all humility. That's a lot of humility, right? So how are we doing with those, four, those five things? As you look at your list, how are we doing? How are we doing with the brothers and sisters in this church? How are we doing with the rest of the world? Or our enemies. So as we grow in these five things, the other ones kind of definitely, they hit me a little harder because I, now I see where he's going with this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I need to improve in those five things. That's true. We all need to improve in those five things. He's telling everyone, you need to do these things. These are the characteristics of Christ. You need to mimic these. So verse 9, we come to verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. 
The NSB says, insult for insult. Do not repay evil for eviling or reviling for reviling. Um, Rob's going through Romans, right? Romans 1.29 talks about all this evil that's there, right? Romans 1.29 says, They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, I'm sorry, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. This is the one I underlined. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I don't want to spend time on that list. Do you? I mean, think about that even within our own hearts, our own lives. Are we ever gossips? Do we ever slander? Are we ever haughty or boastful? Foolish, faithless, heartless, inventors of evil? We all have examples of what that evil may look like, right? You fill in the blank. Maybe it's the name of someone, right? Someone that just knows how to actually hit all those buttons for you. Maybe some passive aggressiveness that you see in your family a little bit, right? Or in the church. We look at this in the church as well. I know uh, Jeff and Ron over in Israel had someone come up to their table and start insulting them, throwing salt on them. I don't think we've had any of that go on around here, I don't think. But the reality is there's all kinds of evil, and God says there's going to be evil that comes against you, insult upon insult, because you are a part of me. And when God got the evil, when God received the insult, what did he do? He didn't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So as he's the example... So how should you live? So how should you live? Put that, person, put that person in your mind. Put that situation in your mind. When I come up against that, are you ready for that evil to be done against you? Are you ready for that insult? And for me, a lot of times it's easy for me. If someone insults me, there's evil shown against me, a little bit easier. How about if it's your family? My, my daughter has kind of my sense of justice a little bit. And we were talking about this the other day. We're not going to see justice this side of heaven, ultimately. The reality is, is that we're going to get all kinds of evil, all kinds of insults. It's not going to be fair. It's not going to be right. It's not going to be just. Why? Because we don't have a righteous judge sitting on the throne yet, do we? We will one day, and everything's going to be made right. That's what we have to look forward to. Right now, we don't. So Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building others up, as fits the occasion, that it may be give grace to those that hear. Or Proverbs 2.22, which is what I put on here, is, do not, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Do not repay evil for evil, or slandering for slandering, or insult for insult. And what does he say? This is what really hit me the hardest about this. What does he say next? But on the contrary, do the exact opposite. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Don't combat them the same way they came at you. What are you supposed to do? Big word. Circle that. Highlight this. Put that in the thing saying, I am to bless the people that do me evil, that show me insult, 
They treat me unfair, unkind. They treat my wife, my children. I'm supposed to bless them. Not am I supposed to love and forgive. I also need to what? I need to bless them. And I wrote down here, speak well of. Putting the person in the best light. Praying for their good. Expressing thankfulness to them and for them. When's the last time that someone is that is your opponent, your adversary, have you blessed them like that? I think that's, that's one of those things, that blessing them, I can, I can love them from a distance, I kind of forgive them from a distance, I don't need them to ask for forgiveness, I can love them and forgive them from a distance, but blessing, you want me to bless them? I, even love, I don't understand that either, right? Because love is a lot more intentional than what I want to make it, but there's times where I kind of remove myself out of the equation. But when I come here, i got to bless them, that's a whole different level here, isn't it? But that's what God is calling us to. And that's what Peter's calling them to. Why? Because we want, just as the, as the wife to the unbelieving husband, we want her conduct to point to Christ in such a way that God uses that in their life, prayerfully, to come to know him as a personal Lord and Savior. That is what we should be doing, and that's why the next part of that says, why should we do this? Because this is what you've been called to do. That's why the believer is calling. For this you have been called, this you have been called. It's so important that we actually think that way, right? Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The aspect is not the heaping the burning coals. The aspect is obviously doing what God's called us to do, even to those people that are our enemies. We're called to bless them. We're called to do this because God has said, because I have done it, you do it. I have lived it. You were the enemy. <laughs> and yet I loved you. You insulted me. And I showed you kindness and love. And what? Blessing. Forgave you. And that blessing ultimately, I think, when you look at that aspect of the blessing, that you may obtain a blessing, the blessing is also ultimately, I am following after my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. That is the best blessing you possibly can have, is one day he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. What, what better blessing can there be than the reward that God gives saying, you were faithful, you were obedient, and you followed me. Through the hardest trials, the hardest things of life, you were faithful. You were obedient in that. I think to emphasize this a little bit, he brings up the next passage here is, on, is in uh, Psalms 34, 12 through 16. He kind of emphasizes, I believe, this whole aspect of things, and he kind of zeroes it in a little bit more um, for them. And the first part of that, which I want to kind of highlight a little bit, verses 10, 11, and 12 say, um, is, is Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 12 through 16. It says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. So for me, you think about um, from a worldly perspective, what do I do to love life? It's a lot of things that are earthly, passing away. You know, you buy things, you get things, you go on vacations, loving life, right? But if I'm serving Christ, I'm being obedient to Christ, do I love that life a lot differently? Why? Because it's eternal. 
if I've been bought with a price and I have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as my master and king and I am doing what he's called me to do, guess what? That is the best life. I will love life. I will see good days. Why? Because the good days are me having peace. I have peace because I know I'm right in the center of where God wants me to be. If I'm living the way he's called me to live and doing what he's called me to do, guess what? It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have in this life. But if you have Christ and you have a relationship with him and you're growing and you're maturing and you're following after him and you're loving the body of believers here, but you're also loving the enemy outside these walls, I'm loving life. Seeing good days. And he goes into basically kind of repeating what we just talked about a little bit, but he says, let him keep his tongue from evil. James talks about it's very hard to keep our tongue from evil, isn't it? He says it's impossible Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no way that we can do that. Our mouth goes like this. And his lips from speaking deceit. Did Jesus speak deceit? We talked about in the first part of 1 Peter. No, absolutely not. He said he did not speak deceit. He did not revile for reviling. Let him turn away from evil and do good. It's a 180-degree turn. I want to turn away from that. Even the thought of that, I want to move myself away from that, and I want to focus on the perfect person that suffered the worst of the worst for me. I was his enemy, now I'm his friend. And I pray that for my enemy. Do you pray that for your enemy? There's times where I don't pray that for my enemy, that I should pray for that for my enemy. Well, this enemy is at this level, this enemy that we can pray for this person at this level. Pray for that, pray for that person that you know, hey, there's no way God can save them. God can do the miraculous, the supernatural. He can work in your heart. He can work in my heart. He can work in their heart. Then this is the next part here. It says, let him seek peace, or in parentheses I put harmony. Let him seek peace or harmony and pursue it. Matthew 5 talks about being a peacemaker. That's a whole other sermon for another time. But being a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is hard. It takes work to be a peacemaker. If you're, that means i got to say, i got to come to you when there is sin in life. I gotta come to you to ask for forgiveness. I gotta come to you and, and be real about it. To be a peacemaker, to live in peace, it takes hard work, first of all, with me. And it takes hard work because I gotta actually go to you. I gotta restore that relationship because I want that harmony. If there is anybody in this room that you don't have harmony and peace with, let's make sure that happens first and foremost. This is the church that I, I look at as far as a, a church that loves, loves God, loves his word, and loves people. And I, again, I wanna, I, I'm so thankful for this church, but there's still times when we have that inside of us. We're battling that, waging that war. That person hurt me. That person harmed me. Then you've got to seek peace. You need to not just seek it, you need to pursue it. The idea here is I'm going to reach out. I cannot stop but grabbing that. I want that so badly, I will do whatever it takes to get peace. That's what we should have there. And then here for me, this is so important for me, as you think about living and loving and God focusing on, on what he wants for us, he says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I want the eyes of the Lord to be on me. And his ears are open to their prayer. I want the Lord's ears to be open to my prayer. Do you? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous the upright, 
the ones that are following me, loving, repenting, forgiving, blessing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Do I care about that? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I don't want his face against me. I want his face shining upon me. Do you? In verses 13 and 14, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? Now again, there's a question mark there. There'll be some that will harm you no matter what, right? But some, as you are blessing and reaping blessing upon them, have you ever tried a soft answer turns away wrath? Have you ever tried something a little bit different? When they insult you, when they revile you, when they speak all kinds of evil against you, you lovingly respond in kind? And Peter is saying, basically, if you reverse the, the tables on them, they're expecting you to revile evil for evil and reviling for reviling, right? They're expecting, if I show you evil, you'll show me evil. If I insult you, revile you, you're going to revile me back. If I don't do that, what will happen? We'll see. He's saying, maybe, hey, if you're zealous for, for doing good, who is there to harm you? There may be that point where you may not have to have harm because of that. But, and he said there's a big but there, right? Verse 14, but even if I should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear or be troubled. That's a big statement. Have no fear, do not be troubled at all. <laughs> Sometimes people shake just to talk to somebody about little things, right? He's saying when you're trusting me, you're following me, you're focusing on me, guess what? Even if you suffer, even if you're reviled, even if you're insulted, guess what? If you're doing that for righteousness, not just because of you, remember that. Don't come to me later on and say, hey, you know, John, this guy is doing it and I did this and this and this wrong to him. This is for righteousness sake. If I'm reviled and evil is shown against me for the sake of Christ, for, for his glory and for his honor, and I'm, I'm a Christian that's following after him and I'm speaking that to people and your workplace says, you know what, I'm sorry, you no longer have, long have a job here. You no longer have a job here. You no longer have an existence here. Then come to me, and that's something that we need to step in, and we need help. Be a part of that. If it's about you, that's not where we're at. If it's about the cause of Christ and righteousness sake, and you're saying it is about that, it's not about who I said, what I said, where I said it. It's all about the fact that I am actually speaking righteousness. I am suffering for the sake of Christ and for his glory and his honor. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For, you, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they persecuted the prophets before you. You weren't, you weren't the first. You won't be the last. But blessed, you are blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On whose account? Christ's account. Rejoice. Have joy in your hearts and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven is great. I'm going to read a couple more verses here. Just kind of suffer, or kind of put this all together in a package here. But suffering is purposeful, to be expected, not to be dreaded, but borne patiently with joy. 
as I was putting in my notes, just kind of helped me kind of think through that aspect. Is suffering purposeful? Yeah. Suffering is purposeful to be expected if we're a follower of Christ and we're doing all these things we're talking about, not to be dreaded, but born patiently with joy until the coming of our great God and Savior, right? Until we go home to be with him. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its perfect effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, going back to the very beginning here, kind of looking about our own salvation, our own walk with him, he says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith in the salvation of your souls. Great thought, isn't it? A couple of uh, quotes here. One from Carmichael says this. It's just entitled, If. If I belittle those whom I am called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast, perhaps what, with what I think of as my strong points, if I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting who made thee to differ, and what that thou that thou has not received, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in a cold unfriendliness, though friendship is possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitterly towards those who condemn me, as if it seems to me unjustly, Forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more. Then I know nothing of Calvary love. The second one is from Joette, John A. Henry, says this. There is love whose measure is that of an umbrella. There is love whose inclusiveness is that of a great marquee. And there is love whose comprehension is that of an immeasurable sky. The aim of the New Testament is the conversion of the umbrella into a tent and the merging of the tent into a glorious canopy of the all-enfolding heaven. Push back the walls of family love until they include the neighbor. Again, push back the walls until they include the stranger. And again, push the walls back until they comprehend the foe. God's called us to love our neighbor called us to love the stranger, called us to love our family, but he's also called us to love our enemy, to love our foe. May we live life to the praise and glory of our great God and Savior, right? May we bless our family and our foes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the day you've given us. I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to look at your word. I thank you that you, um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had Peter pin this letter to those that were suffering then, but Lord, we know that, that that letter is relevant for us today. As we honor you and glorify you and pronounce you and proclaim you, Father, we will be reviled. We will be shown all kinds of evil, but Lord, I pray that you would help us think through that list. You'd help us think through uh, the humility and our brotherly love and our tenderness and 
our sympathy. Lord, we thank you so much that because you are the, the essence, you are the extreme example of all these things. You're the perfect example. Lord, we look to you as the helper and as the guide. I pray you'd help us in this church to love you and to love each other in such a way that the world around us are awed that these Christians are not hypocrites. These Christians love in a way that is unexplainable. And not only do they love each other, but they love me, the sinner, the enemy, the foe. I've done all things I could to push them away, and yet they continue to embrace me. I pray you'd help us to embrace each other and embrace those we come in contact with that would be called enemy or foe, because we pray that one day they will no longer be called enemy or foe, we'll be called friend and brother. We'll spend eternity in heaven with them. I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to think about the blessings you've given us, the joys we have. And as you think about Thanksgiving coming to us, Lord, in a few days, I pray you'd help us to be thankful, first and foremost, for our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be thankful for those around us in a new and, and special and unique way. Lord, we give you all the praise, the glory, and honor for all you've done, all you are doing, and all you will do, Father. You deserve all of the honor, the glory, and the praise. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.